searching and sorrow in Surfside. Our teams worked tirelessly as ever to make progress on the collapsed site. The death toll rising. And the number of confirmed deaths is now 90. Miami-Dade Mayor Daniela Levine Cava delivering tough news and leading the effort. And our hearts and minds are always with those we've lost. Showing support for families. Pray for all the people who are missing. And first responders. I feel like I'm, I'm physically digging. Um, but I'm also emotionally digging for more strength to continue. The mayor joins us live. <laughs> Haiti's president assassinated. Who was behind it? He was hired guns uh, that carried out this work. A Broward County man, one of two Haitian Americans arrested in Port-au-Prince. He doesn't have no military training. He wasn't in the military. South Florida leaders promising help for Haiti and calling for change. If a president could be killed in his own house with all the security that he had, so we know that no one is safe in Haiti. And the country's first lady recovering in a Miami hospital. First lady was not a target, that she was caught in a crossfire. We've got it all live on This Week in South Florida. Good morning, glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putney. Glenna is off today. It has been a week of shock and sadness in South Florida. Shock at the assassination of Haitian President Jovenel Moise. And we will be talking about that shortly with a former Prime Minister of Haiti and a leader in the Haitian diaspora. First, though, the sadness and pervasive grief at the Champlain Tower South in Surfside. At midweek, more than two weeks after the collapse, the mission shifted from search and rescue to search and recovery. That was a blow to the family still awaiting word on their loved ones, holding out hope after hope that they could still be found in the rubble. As tears were shed, the difficult work to recover the victims moved on, continuing despite the dangerous working conditions and polluted air at the site. And leading that effort, as she has from the very beginning, is Miami-Dade Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava. Mayor Cava Levine-Cava joins us now from Surfside. Madam Mayor, good morning. So great to see you. Thank you, Michael. Uh, give us the update you did earlier this morning. We've reported on it, but 90 victims have now been recovered. Is that right? There are 90 deaths. That's correct, 90 victims. And how many uh, are unaccounted for at this point? We have 31 unaccounted for, and that number is not final. We are continuing to make sure that we have uh, known uh, victims, and so uh, 31, but it could change. Yeah. Uh, Mayor Levine Cava, uh, may I just say personally, I have admired so much uh, your steady leadership here in the face of just a enormous tragedy. You have been there every step of the way, and you've got quite a team there with you. You've got, you know, Miami-Dade Fire Rescue, uh, teams from uh, Israel, from Mexico. And last night, I thought it was a very touching moment when the Israeli team left. We saw the goodbyes, the hugs, and I know that uh, Miami-Dade Fire Chief Alan Kamensky gave the leader of the Israeli squad uh, made them honorary members of the Miami-Dade search and rescue team. Talk to us a little about that. 
Yes, Michael, not just honorary members, but honorary commanders. So he gave both the commander and the colonel those uh, stripes, if you will. And uh, I know that's unprecedented, but well, well deserved. You know, I was contacted by the consul of uh, Israel and offered the assistance of the IDF. Of course, I did not hesitate. They came as quickly as they could. They actually changed in the bathroom at the airport after an overnight flight so that they could get right on the pile when they arrived in Surfside. And they have been just with us every step of the way and most importantly with the families. The families really were in, very, very inspired to have them on site. And they do much more than the search and discovery, uh, the search and rescue. They do the, the family support. They do it extremely well. And so it was a great comfort to everyone. And we know that they contributed an important uh, component to the recovery effort. They did this 3D map which showed each apartment, where the beds were, where the people were inside those apartments, which facilitated, uh, I am told, how to look in the rubble and discover who might be there and recover remains. Is that right? Yes, it's a very helpful tool and our team was delighted to use it. And now we're talking about working together in the future to bring this technology for, for future operations. Uh, it also is about engaging the family members as part of the rescue team so that this gives them a, a, a purpose during the just horrendous hours and days of waiting where they can uh, come up with more details, artifacts, uh, items, jewelry, and so on that then can be placed in the model so that uh, as they do the search, they discover things and it helps to know exactly where they are in the rubble. Right. Uh, Mayor Levine, I know that you have spent every day uh, hours talking to the families as they have waited uh, for word, hoping that in fact their victims, their family members uh, have been found and identified. Those conversations just have to be heartbreaking. Tell us a little bit about what it's been like to speak with them. Something no one could ever imagine in our worst nightmares has happened and these families are the ones that are closest to the tragedy, but they have brought all of us along with them. Our, you see it in the faces of the people on the pile. You see it in just the people here supporting, whether it's our wonderful police officers, even our water sewer that's helped, our transportation workers. We're all here for the cause and we all feel the pain. And around the world, the whole world has held us in their arms. Yeah. Um, I have to say that uh, watching the work that we have seen over the last, well, since June 24th, of the, the men and women who are on that pile uh, takes me back to 9-11 and to the Twin Towers and seeing the work that those courageous uh, first responders did then. And I would say that our first responders here are certainly, they're equal, they have just done extraordinary work. Actually, Michael, quite a number of them were at 9-11. So think about this, these uh, USAR experts travel the world. They live in Miami, Miami-Dade, these other states, Israel, Mexico, but they are on duty to the world and they have 
known each other from those past experiences. They've learned together from those past experiences and they, they made a lot of comparisons to 9-11. Yeah. Uh, one of the concerns that you have voiced and others as well is the air quality on that pile. Uh, our Jeff Wines here did an excellent report late this week, I think he talked to you about it, uh, that showed that the quality of the air uh, on that pile, uh, I don't know if it's unhealthy. I mean, it's simply not good. Are the workers protected against breathing in uh, toxic fumes and uh, anything else that could affect their health down the road? Yes, for sure. The quality of the air is monitored constantly uh, by people embedded in the operation and everyone on the pile and in the vicinity of the pile is directed to wear a mask. Also, it was pointed out that because we've had so much rain, the rain has actually tamped down a lot of the dust. So in the last uh, couple of days when there was a little less rain, there were hoses continually on the on site to diminish the, the, the dust particles in the air. And also we've established that there is no asbestos, which is one of the, the concerns that we always have. Yeah. Uh, Madam Mayor, the, the pictures we have seen, a lot of it shot by Miami-Dade fire rescue videographers of the men and women digging out through the rubble uh, with their hands, with hand tools, uh, searching for, among other things, not just recovering victims, but for photographs, for documents, for personal items, jewelry, which all of which was left uh, inside these buildings, all of which fell, you know, when it did, and which is just so invaluable to the survivors uh, for a, a lifeline to their past history. Uh, looking for that for these uh, men and women who are up there searching, uh, that's gotta be tough work. This is heartbreaking work. And you see it when they've stopped, uh, when they found any victims, the way that they pay tribute on the pile to the passage of someone's loved one, especially the children that have been found, that has been so difficult for those doing the work. For the belongings, they are carefully set aside, uh, exactly their location documented, they're uh, cataloged in a special area uh, just past the uh, search site. I had an opportunity to visit and see the care, uh, see that, as you say, it could be everything from a piece of paper that has some significant details on it, a book, um, any jewelry, and so on. Uh, it's all there. And I imagine uh, that it is taking a, an emotional, psychic, toll on these men and women who are on the pile. What kind of mental health counseling is available to them now and in the future? I've been very impressed to learn that we have an excellent system. There's a, a kind of a mental health debriefing that takes place uh, throughout the uh, shifts. Uh, everybody is assessed. Uh, some people have requested and of course received some relief time. Um, there are uh, mental health professionals on site. Everybody is assessed during breaks and before they go back. Uh, there are comfort dogs, of course, faith leaders of every uh, stripe on site as well. And uh, we also have very significant um, resources 
of, of mental health providers within our police and fire rescue departments, but we are seeking more and we have been approved for funding for a contract that we're going to bring mental health services, not just to those who are on site, but to, to everyone who has been affected. This affects a whole community in mourning, yeah. in fact, a whole world. Well, I think, in fact, this tragedy has affected the entire South Florida community. You simply cannot, including our reporters, all the media who have been out there reporting on this. Anybody watching for the last two and a half weeks has been affected. Mayor Levine Cava, hold your place right there. We have more questions. We'll be back with the mayor in just a minute. On the Sunday morning, we are talking with Miami-Dade Mayor Daniela Levine Cava. Mayor, uh, we know, of course, uh, you are not a structural engineer. Uh, the city, the town of Surfside, has hired one of the world's great experts, Alan Kilsheimer, to try to determine why this tower came down. As of last night, he was quoted as saying he still doesn't have a clue. It could be one of many things. Do you have any kind of a theory that you can offer about why it collapsed? True enough, I'm not a structural engineer. I have learned so much about all of this, and you can imagine in these 18 days. However, it is really too early to say. Uh, there are so many things that could contribute, and we have the best engineers on site working on this. National Institute of Standards and Technology, a federal agency, they did the 9-11 uh, report. It, it's just going to take us a while to sort it all out, yeah. but they are working diligently, and our state attorney with the grand jury also will be taking testimony. Uh, but you know, we're not waiting for these, these uh, reports to be complete to take actions that are within our purview, like making sure that those recertifications do take place, making sure that the recommendations from the recertifications are implemented, making sure that people with the qualifications are making those assessments. So there's much that we can do on the ground to yeah. protect everyone. We understand and uh, we know that you ordered an audit of all the buildings in Miami-Dade County coming up, I think, on a 40-year recertification. One of the buildings, in fact, that was inspected is the Dade County Courthouse, that landmark down there on Flagler Street, built in 1928. It's been a troubled building for many, many years, but on Friday afternoon, you and the chief judge and Clerk Harvey Rubin said, we've got to shut this place down because it is structurally unsound or it's unsafe. Tell us about making that decision. Why did you do that? Well, our head of the Internal Services Department, Alex Munoz, realized that this building is one with a troubled past. And on his initiative, he asked for an update from uh, an engineer and uh, that was received and reported on Friday. And so in conversation, we decided an abundance of caution to uh, recommend the evacuation. In the meantime, we have approved moving forward with the immediate uh, improvements to shore up those upper stories. Uh, that is, is taking place forthwith. And we're evaluating together with the, the judge and the clerk how soon uh, it would be safe to return. Uh, this is something, a condition that actually has been known about for a while, 
but it was determined that uh, at the time I was not the mayor uh, to uh, continue occupancy and the, the, the court knew and, and the clerk knew. Uh, but that to be said, given what we now know, we all want to definitely err on the side of caution and make sure that those repairs are made uh, so that we can all feel uh, more com confident. Right. Uh, Mayor Levine, Kava, I have to say there have been a couple of moments as I have reported on and watched the coverage that really moved me. And may I say there was one of them, it's more than a week ago, uh, the day that you had to announce the deaths of Emma and Lucia, the four and 10 year old girls uh, whose uh, bodies were recovered. Uh, you had tears in your eyes as you announced that. Uh, I mean, the death of children this way is just unspeakably sad. Uh, but what really also touched me was you stepped back from the microphones and Miami-Dade Police Director Freddie Ramirez standing by your side and very quietly he put his arm around your shoulder. That to me was just such a human moment. Um, you recall that? Yes, sir, I do. And we are here together every day, every minute as a team to do everything we can to support these families and to get this operation accomplished for them. And uh, look, we have the best police department. We have the best fire rescue department. I knew that before this, but now it's it's in my bones. And we're, we're here for each other. We, yeah. we, we are, they're, they're making me so proud each and every moment. They're, they're making all of us proud. And there was another great moment, I thought, uh, I guess it was Friday night when uh, Deputy uh, Chief uh, Ray Jadala was made a commander in the Israeli IDF team uh, and given uh, uh, insignia marking that. That was a lovely moment too. So, you know, Assistant Chief Jadala and uh, Maggie, who has uh, been his translator all along, have endeared themselves. So we were talking, not only did the families come to adore and trust them, but that confidence that they were able to bring about the entire operation has meant that it's a whole government response that has made the world see what government can do uh, right. when, when it needs to step up. Yeah. Uh Mayor, there are many decisions that have to be made going forward over the course of months. One decision that has sort of gotten visibility is what to do with that property. It's going to be cleared apparently quicker than you had anticipated, anybody had anticipated. And there are some people who lived in that building who were saying, we can't have another condo built on this property. There should be a memorial for everyone who died here. Uh, do you have an opinion about, about that? We've been talking a lot about that, and we think it's too early to make any decisions. Uh, and in fact, that's what uh, Judge Hansman, who is presiding over this uh, matter in court, also said. But it is really critical that we have a memorial. I know we all feel that way. Uh, exactly the footprint of that memorial uh, will, will be determined. But not only are we talking about it with um, those on the scene, but we've talked to our congresswoman about it, 
and others to see what we can do to, to pay proper uh, respect, homage, uh, and to, to, to mark what has occurred here so it can never happen again. Well, we pray that it doesn't. And finally, uh, Mayor Levine Kava, I have to ask you, um, I mean, you have experienced a lot in your life, in your 65 years, but you've never been tested as you have been tested over the last 18 days. Um, and, and you seem to be on top of it. You seem to, you've done exceptionally well from my point of view, but how are you feeling? How are you coping with this stress? I am immeasurably saddened by this uh, horrific situation. I am fully energized to do everything in my power. I feel so humbled and blessed to be here in this moment, uh, presiding over what I consider will be seen as one of the best executed and uh, most compassionate uh, efforts in the history, if not the country, the world. Well, we thank you again for what you and your exceptional team out there, everyone has done, uh, and uh, we pray for the families who lost loved ones. Mayor, thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. All right, up next, we're gonna shift our focus to Haiti, and we're going to speak to former Prime Minister Laurent Lamont. About 10 years ago, Haiti had a devastating earthquake and has struggled to recover. This week, they had a political earthquake. No one knows how or when they're going to recover. President Juvenal Moïse was gunned down at his home outside Port-au-Prince Wednesday morning, shot to death by a group of mercenaries, most of them apparently from Colombia. Who paid them and the motive for this brutal murder are still unclear, but there are some ties to South Florida. The immediate question is, how does the Haitian government continue to function? Can it function with an interim prime minister, Claude Joseph, who was on his way out? And then there is another politician, Eric Henry, who had just been appointed prime minister by Moïse. And he has claimed the job. And then the Senate president says he is now the provisional president. Haiti has more than 11 million citizens, and they are looking to see what happens. They are hoping their government can hang on, move on, and resolve these differences and hold the country together. We want to talk about it all with former Haitian Prime Minister Laurent Lamothe. Mr. Lamothe served as prime minister from 2012, 2014, born in Haiti, earned degrees in Miami from Berry University and St. Thomas. He joins us live from Miami. Mr. Lamothe, good morning. Great to see you. Good morning, Michael. Great to see you. Oui, c'est un bonjour. Uh, Mr. Mr. Lamothe, tell us here, given this complex situation, who is in charge in Haiti? Um, well, today we have, according to the Constitution, Article 149, um, the Council of Ministers is in charge, headed, pre presided by the Prime Minister, uh, Claude Joseph. There is a high-level delegation that's going to Haiti today uh, that will meet with different, the, and the different stakeholders and try to, you know, resolve the differences and hopefully will have a positive outcome uh, for our country. But, but what's important, certainly now, 
is uh, is uh, you know the, the brutal assassination of our of our president, and uh, and I've been you know speaking to you know having many interviews, talking to the world about the necessity now to focus on the mastermind. Well, I, I know you have been talking to the world. I know you've talked to local. 10 News and diagnose this for us. I mean, we know that Mr. Moise was a controversial figure. He had stayed in office maybe a year or more later than he constitutionally should have. Uh, he had some enemies, but a murder like this, I mean, this is just almost unimaginable. By, I mean, you know, being a Haitian and looking at what happened that night, I would never, ever imagine that something like this would happen in my country, and especially, you know, you know, to killing the president in his room, shot execution style. You know, th there was a lot of hate be behind this assassination, and there is reports also that he was also tortured yeah. before being killed. Um, and, and his wife of 25 years, they were together 25 years. The wife was shot and, you know, almost, I would say, almost died. You know, she made it to Miami. She barely made it, you know, to Miami. And, and thank God um, she's, she's still alive. So she'll, I'm sure she'll have a lot to say. Yesterday she had a voice note that she came, that, that was published on her Twitter account. So she'll have a lot to say about, about this, this assassination. But, the, um, you know, many details are starting to come out from this, uh, from this assassination. One of them is, you know, the, of course, the mercenaries. The mercenaries came from Colombia. You know, reports have them come about 26 of them with two uh, Haitian Americans, and that tied back to South Florida because apparently they, you know, they, they were living here and, and, and had, you know, worked here. So there is strong ties here to, to South Florida. And, um, but the most important information that, that, that came out there was, a, there was a report from the AP and the Miami Herald that tied it to um, basically the contracting company. is It's called CTU Security LLC from the Miami Herald article. Um, so they have it, uh, the owner as Antonio, a certain Antonio Indriago, who, would ha who, who allegedly contracted the four firms in, um, in Colombia to carry out the hit on the president. So the masterminds... Uh, Laura, and Laura, if I may, I'm sorry, if I may interrupt, uh, Local 10 News has been trying to reach Mr. Intriago, who is the head of CTU. We have been uh, unsuccessful so far. Uh, we don't know what role he may have played or may not have played, and we don't want to sort of besmirch his reputation, but I did see the Miami Herald report. I know they say CTU was reportedly the contractor that provided these Colombians. So I just want to make that clear. No, no, and, and that's why I also cite the, the Associated Press report and the Miami Herald article as the, the, the source for this information. I mean, this is public, it's, it's on the public record. Yeah, let me ask you, I think the big question, we know that on Friday, uh, or maybe even Thursday night, that the acting Prime Minister, Claude Joseph, uh, sent word to Washington that he wants U.S. troops to come in, uh, provide the security to, to guard uh, Haiti's valuable infrastructure, the airport, the ports, uh, gasoline reserves, and so on. And Washington doesn't seem eager to do this. I mean, they 
are sending in today some FBI officials, people from Homeland Security. Uh, do you think, in fact, U.S. troops should go into Haiti? Well, the first thing I think, um, you know, Haiti right now is emotionally very hurt and 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 is crying. The, the, the Haitian people have come out, you know, very strongly, as, as you saw on, 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 uh, on news clippings, you know, assisting the police to arrest some of those uh, some of those mercenaries. So, so the first answer, really, for the Haitian people right now, uh, you know, today is they want to know who are the masterminds who killed the president. This right. is probably in everyone's mind right now. Uh, and until that said, um, you know, this is their primary concern right now. So, in terms of you know sending U.S. troops and sending security forces, the the, the, the prime minister, you know, said that he um, he requested for those. Uh, forces and and apparently the u.s um you know doesn't feel that you know that they want to do that right now at this point so i know that there's going to be talks so probably that will be discussed again and revisited but certainly has to be under a u.n mandate um, um you know of some sort because you know it's very important that haiti right now the elections were set for for september 26th so it's important that haiti has elected leaders and not appointed ones, you know, for, for a long period of time. So it's important that uh, to give a voice to the people of Haiti to choose their rightful leaders in an election. So I hope that that's what they discussed today is to carry out the ways and means on how to secure the election because the financing has already been done, according to reports that I've seen. Yeah. Um, so, so the financing for the election, the government already put the money uh, over $30 million to pay for the for, for the upcoming election. So the financing is done. They need to have right now, you know, the security conditions. And, and this is why the prime minister made the request um, to the Biden administration for help regarding safeguarding the election, something that would be good for Haiti, good for the Caribbean, and good for the world, that Haiti stabilizes itself with an elected government. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just want to would note, Parenthetically, I was there in Haiti uh, for the election of Jean-Bertrand Aristide. It was really kind of a glorious moment, the first time, you know, after the Duvaliers that somebody had been, a Haitian had been elected democratically. I guess the question now is, is September or November too soon? Can an election be held that quickly? Well, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, they've been preparing that for a while. It's not something that they're going to start today. You know, the, the Electoral Council has been working on that for, for many months. The financing has been done, you know, in trenches, and they, and they have the, the financing right now to carry out the election. What's needed is they need to bolster the security. They need to make sure that, you know, that, that there is presence, that there is strong presence of security forces. And, and all, all the, the, the previous election, the previous two elections, there was UN forces. So, so this would be the first election where the Haitian National Police would be solely in charge of providing security for that election. And something that truly, you know, Haiti should be able to do is to providing the, 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 the security itself. So maybe, I mean, so, so, the, so the, the government has made the request in order to be absolutely sure that the elections can be carried out security-wise. But, you know, September or November, um, myself, if, if the, you know, if, if the U.S. helps with security or the U.N. helps with some security, they'll be able to carry it out. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I would certainly rather have, you know, um, an election and elected officials 
rather than having a situation where, you know, we go through what we've seen before. We've been to almost 10 transitional governments and those never worked. Yeah. So having an 11th one, for sure, I don't see how that would work uh, for Haiti. But, but having, just like anywhere in the Western Hemisphere in the world, um, you know, democracy is what should be defended here. Right. Uh, Mr. Lamothe, you were Haiti's foreign minister. Then you were prime minister uh, at that point. You and Michel Martelly, the president, uh, had a close relationship. Um, you are, if I may say, a eminently qualified candidate to be president uh, of Haiti. Uh, do you have any ambitions to run for that office? Well, you know, I've been asked that question many times, and my answer is that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm helping, I'm participating as much as possible, but I don't feel at this point that I need to be president or prime minister to keep helping Haiti. My, 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 my passion is, is my country, and I want to see it doing well. You know, I've served, you know, it was a pleasure to serve, but I don't have any plans to, to serve again. All right. Well, we appreciate your time this morning. Laurent Lamoth, you are somebody eminently qualified to talk about the situation and as somebody who spent a lot of time in Haiti, I pray that there is peace and stability in your country. I pray the same, Michael. Thank you very much. All right, the Haitian diaspora has a big say in what's gonna happen next, and we are gonna speak with a leader in the diaspora after the break. As you certainly know, South Florida is home to a large Haitian population. The Census Bureau says about 300,000 people, but I think that figure probably is low. These Haitian Americans have built lives and careers across the full spectrum of South Florida's economic, academic, and political landscape, and they are watching what is happening in Haiti now with special interest. Many still have family on the island. The diaspora has a big say in what happens next, and they will have a voice here. Today, we wanted to bring you one of the leading voices in the diaspora, and I immediately thought of an old friend, Leone Hermantine. She has spent more than 20 years in community development. She's a respected voice among Haitian Americans, recently returned to the Haitian Neighborhood Center, Saint La. Leone, great to see you. Good morning. Good morning, Michael. So great to see you. All right, Leone, first, let me sort of get you on the record to these brutal events that have happened uh, in Haiti uh, with the, the assassination of the president and what is going on now. Well, you know, um, it's, it was certainly a day of consternation for all of us. You know, all of us were awakened. Um, you know, we all remember where we were and what we were doing on, on, on Wednesday um, in shock. Um, at the news of the president's assassination. Um, at this point, you know, we're, we're still concerned. We're trying to see what's going to happen. We are definitely communicating to our friends and allies in Haiti to understand what the situation is. Uh, we know <clears throat> that somewhat a little contrary to what the prime minister said, that the folks in Haiti are very concerned about violence. Uh, there's there's um, this incredible climate of gang violence yes. that has terrorized neighborhoods, entire neighborhoods, displaced thousands of people. 
And so, you know, um, people are now home, they're hiding in their homes, they're afraid to go out. Some of them don't even have the means to go stock up on food. Uh, there's this fear that violence will erupt on the streets. And so this is what's really in the minds of and hearts of people in Haiti. Uh, we're even reluctant to send money simply because the streets are not safe. Right. So right now, as the diaspora, um, um, you know, we're, we're, whether we supported the president or not, we are um, honoring his life. You know, we, we understand that, um, you know, this is, un, you know, it feels surreal that we have to talk about the assassination of a president at the hands of mercenaries. Uh, truly shocking. But no, it we is. are also yeah. looking yeah. at solutions. We know that we don't want intervention. Many of us do not want another, um, um, you know, we're not very happy about the invitation of the prime minister to send American troops. History has definitely um, told us what happened. We know what happens when American troops come to the, or foreign troops, whether it's the UN. We have a history and it has not disproved its negative impact on our society. Yeah. And Leonie, can I, can I just, can I, excuse me, just jump in for a second to point out, I am no historian of Haitian history. I, I know it pretty well, but uh, most Americans might not know that when a Haitian president was killed in 1914, U.S. Marines were there from 1915 to 1934. Uh, yes. So the U.S. involvement militarily with Haiti is kind of fraught with a history, not always a proud history. Right. And, and it, it must be noted also that the U.S. did not recognize Haiti's independence in 1804 and that it came only in 1863, I believe. So... Um, it was also, you know, we, we, we were not recognized when we, when we became the first black nation uh, in the Western Hemisphere. But, you know, clearly in 1915, uh, the United States sent Southern Marines to a black country. And so you can imagine what happened um, when those two, during that interaction. Um, uh, it happened again um, when President Aristide returned to Haiti. Right. Um, and, you know, with the UN forces in Haiti, we have definitely documented uh, trauma. We have, we have, they brought a disease to Haiti. They brought cholera to Haiti. Uh, they've brought a rape of children to Haiti. Uh, they've perpetrated, they didn't bring it, but they absolutely perpetrated uh, with sort of institutional um over, lack of oversight. So yeah, uh, we, me, we have a history. We don't want an occupation. You know, I, I, I understand. And, and we also could point out that the UN peacekeeping force that was there from what, 2004 to 2017 spread cholera and there are all kinds of babies that were left behind uh, right. by the UN troops uh, that and were... And, and made no impact. They were peacekeeping. They were a peacekeeping force. Peace is the oper operative word. Right. And once they left, the gangs re-emerged even more ferocious and um, even federated with, you know, it's alleged with the support of the Jovenel Moïse government, they became even stronger. Their, their, their motto now is you touch one, you touch us all. And so um, the gangs 
in the aftermath, you know, after all these years of UN involvement have become even more powerful. And it must also be noted that while we're asking for the United States to come into, you know, to bring troops, the U.S. presence and the power of the U.S. ambassador has never abated. No decision is taken in Haiti without consultation with the U.S. ambassador and the multiple European United Nations forces. UN has about 18 agencies in Haiti today. And yeah. so Haiti is occupied in a way, and we haven't seen what that has, you know, wh how, how that has improved our lives. Right. We must even say that it's made our lives worse. Yeah. Uh, Leonie, let me, let me simply point out also that in May, the Biden administration granted TPS to Haitians uh, in, in Florida, in this country, for another 18 months. So at least that's not something uh, on the table uh, right now. Uh, another question I want to ask you is that President uh, Moise was considering allowing the diaspora, the Haitian diaspora, to vote in the upcoming election. Should the diaspora be allowed to vote in those elections? Um, you know, we, we found, I mean, I, I don't really, you know, the, the, the elections themselves are questionable uh, because this was a president ruling by decree, a president who intentionally um, um, disempower, disempowered or this sort of balance of power, you know, so because he did not, he ran without holding elections, which would um, allow the, the senators and the lower chamber representatives to actually um, do their jobs. And so to have elections and even more importantly, constitutional, a constitutional amendment uh, um, put forth by a president ruling by decree was highly suspicious. So whether the diaspora could vote or not, um, it's always been in the Constitution. It's, yeah. not, it's, not, it's not something that is new. If you are, uh, especially if you're the, descent, the child of a Haitian um, uh, national, uh, you can vote, you, you can go back to Haiti. Well, you can go life. back to Haiti and vote. Vote. Yeah, and vote. Yeah, I understand. So, Leone, right I'm going to have to, I, I'm, I beg your pardon, we're going to have to say that's all the time that we have. Great to speak with you again. Thanks for your help and expertise. Thank you so much. All right. We'll be right back. Thank you so much for spending part of your Sunday here with us. We are online 24-7 at local10.com. And remember, as always, stay informed, get involved. Have a great Sunday.